listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. Hi, everybody. Welcome down to the first round sports restaurant in downtown Edmonton. This is Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton, coming to you live via Facebook. Everyone out there in uh, wonderful uh, Facebook land, get your questions ready. Get fired up. It's going to be a good show today. I want to start off by uh, talking a little bit about uh, some stuff that's going on with FC Edmonton. Uh, we've got a home game coming up on the uh, 14th of August. Uh, it's against Minnesota United FC. And you can get involved by getting the friends and family deal. Uh, it's a great deal. 20 bucks gets you into the game, includes a hot dog and a pop. You can bring the whole family down. It's a it's a it's a cheap way of getting your family to a good old, good old fashioned sporting event uh, that'll be really good. And as far as the first round goes, they have a, a Sunday fun day. It's uh, on their patio here at the first round. Or I, I don't think West Ed has a. I don't think they have a patio D-Dub. It's indoors. It's on Bourbon Street, (laughs) but a hell of a location. Hell of a location for sure. Okay, so to get involved with the patio here, runs until August 31st. All kinds of summer specials to cool you down uh, and lots of good eats here on the patio. And the weather's been great. So, uh, you know what? Come down and enjoy it. It's a great place to eat. We're here all the time. Eating all the time. Always, man. I was just doing the accounting. We are here all the time. Oh, that's, that's actually... <laughs> Putting their kids through college <laughs> over here. We won't talk about the accounting too much then. So, as always, I'm, I'm joined here by um, JP, Jeff Paulus. How you doing? Very good. Andreas Morris, of course. Pleasure. And uh, tonight's guest is uh, Kevin uh, Passant. He's the TD of Edmonton Scottish, head coach of the Scottish AMSL team. Uh, they've won two national silver medals. He's a provincial teams coach. Uh, national champion with the U18 girls, uh, the Strikers, um, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. You're a busy camper there, Kevin. I have my finger in a, a few different things. Yes, that's it. Well, I mean, you have, well, I won't go further than that, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I am a, <laughs> I'm a, wasn't I'm a dirty-minded that. keeper, yeah. Coach. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to hear something Surely like that. Surely he must have. Hey, it hey, was hey, not hey, a hey. Surely he easy, knows better. Easy. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, all kinds of stuff coming your way. So I'm hoping that the Facebook questions will start flowing quickly. Uh, we've got our techs and our media people at the at the end, James and Thomas. Uh, I guess they're sort of out of shot, maybe. Maybe they're here. Maybe they're just listening. Anyways. They're uh, listening to Metallica. They're here. They're gonna let us, of course they are. <laughs> they're going to let us know when the questions start to flow. And uh, They're not even paying attention. I know. Actually. Which, which is a, it's a yeah. funny thing. Funny thing. But um, <laughs> let's get the ball rolling. JP, you've got uh, some topics you want to talk about. And uh, I know Kevin's in here for uh, a particular reason, so let's let's chat. Yeah, Kevin and I go back a long time. Actually, he's one of the first people I've met in the game when I moved here. Right, along so with I you guys um, were brothers, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, move on. Yeah, we all look the same to you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, you know, really, when I think of the people I first met when I came here, there was there was Graham Wood, and there was um, Cam Lieberman, and there was Kevin. And uh, so we've, we go back a long way, and we've had enough conversations about youth soccer in uh-huh. Edmonton and in Canada that we could probably fill about 15 podcasts, honestly. So fantastic to have you here, Kev. And it's going to be a good night. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, so let's just jump right into this. Uh, youth soccer in Edmonton. So, you know, I've made the statement on, on Twitter a few times and, and publicly that, that I see currently, not just in Edmonton, but I see youth soccer as, as often a collection of individual teams that share a logo and, and that's all they share so you know going from that if teams if if we can create more clubs with a club mentality where mm-hmm. there's a, a game model in play 
uh, where they've got a set principles of play, where, where they've got a development focus more than a winning focus, because that'll be a conversation tonight, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, will the game improve? Because the clubs play a vital role to player development in this country. Yeah. So, so it's important. So, I mean, really, I think, I think Kev, at that point, it's not really a question in that. It's more just a comment. Um, but maybe I'm just going to hand it right over to you, you know, and get your thoughts on, on where club soccer is at right now, um, where we need to go. Are we already there? what needs to change or what doesn't need to change? Well, I think there's a lot of work to be done. As, as you've identified, it's something with which I agree. Um, clubs in Edmonton and I think across the province, generally speaking, share a kit. Um, and they operate as silos for most of the season. They pick up a bag of equipment and, and uh, a home and away jersey, and away they go. Mm-hmm. And do they execute on the vision or the mission of the club? And who decides that mission? Who decides that vision? Is it the technical staff? Is it administrators? Is it well-intentioned volunteers? And does it translate to a product on the field that represents the needs of the players? Mm-hmm. My suggestion is no, it doesn't. There's you know, a lot of talk and there's a lot of words put on websites, but it doesn't necessarily translate to um, a common way of doing things. You know, my, my hope always has been if a, if a person were to come and, and see a game, they could say, oh, that's Club X playing. Right. Not because of the color of the jersey or the coach that's on the sidelines, because an identifiable way of playing. Right. Um, we're not there. And I suggest we're quite a ways away from getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had a, a, you know, a, a cup of coffee with someone I respect immensely in the game, Neil Turnbull. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know Neil. Yeah. He's a you know, former TD of Alberta soccer, was a national team coach with the women's program. Mm-hmm. Um, tons of history in the game. And he, our conversation was about exactly that. Can we be more than just a uniform? Can we have a common way of doing things? Can we have a common way of dealing with our players, how we manage matches, how we train our athletes? And can we infuse all of those coaches with that philosophy? And it was interesting what he said to me. He didn't feel that was going to come through a symposium, a workshop, a mandate, uh, an honorarium check that was tied to certain coaching behaviors. It was exactly this type of environment he was talking about. Can we be collegial? Mm -hmm. Can we get around a table with some good people and have those discussions? Mm -hmm. Because he felt, and as do I, that's where you get the buy-in. That's where you get people pulling in the same direction. When you get around like this, have those discussions, and then we can bounce ideas off one another. And then there's a sense of community ownership, not just Kevin saying this is the way things need to be done or right. Jeff Paula saying this is the way needs, things need to be done. It's everyone coming together and contributing to that bigger discussion. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. I, I, you know, it, it, it's like you said, any time you get together with, with people and you have discussions, you're, you're bound to come up with either solutions or, or a way of yeah, developing and, and, and forming that community and, and, and how it should be shaped and, uh, and how you can move forward both in development and in, and in how you play, which will translate to a national level uh, outside of the community. Yeah, I think I, I'm giving you a chance to jump in if yeah, you well, want to. Well, my, I, I guess my first question for Kevin then is, is, is when you say that you, know, you want somebody dr- driving down past a street where there's a football pitch on there and you see uh, you know, whether it's an EMSA team or an ESA team playing, and you want to be able to identify them not by their jersey but by how the, the, the style of play. Um, then does that fall on the individual clubs to determine their own style of play, their own coaching philosophies, 
so that Scottish looks different from, jeez, oh, forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, Northwest United, if they're still around, Southwest United. Are they all looking different, or are they all under the same philosophy of how we want to play this game? Well, it, it, it's interesting. I think our, our nation lacks a, a common culture. Mm-hmm. We don't have a Canadian culture of playing. It's easy easier with, you know, the... the you know the the new buzz country Iceland. People mm-hmm. want to talk about Iceland. Well, you can't translate their experience into Canada. We have you know a, a very multicultural society where you get ideas for whether it's from a Chilean or an Italian sure. or, or a, a, a Scot. Yeah. Great point. And how do we you know boil that down to a Canadian cultural football identity mm-hmm. that then we can translate at the community level? Ideally, if the Canadian Soccer Association has a game model of we're playing 4-3-3 um, and we want these characteristics out of these players in these positions, you would hope that our clubs would follow suit. That's not the case. And I can, I can safely say in my club, not everyone adheres to you know, what my idea is on how the game tactically should be shaped. We all have different opinions and different ideas, and yeah. we also have different players. We don't all have the same players yeah. um, on, a, on a roster that we can plug and play into, into different roles and give them different responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think once we identify in this country how we can integrate some of the Canadian values, we value hard work, we, we value honesty and integrity, and if we can integrate that into our football, and I just recently read John Herdman struggling with that very issue, that, you know, whether it was back in the Pellerud era and then Morace and what does it look na- like now under right. Herdman, he's trying to figure out how he can, you know, take that Canadian thing, whatever that thing is, it's hard work, it's, it's purpose, it's passion, and how does that translate onto the pitch? And that's a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say this is the German model. Yeah. You know, they, they're efficient. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to say in England the game should be played like this because it's a blue-collar game in England. There's a pub mentality, yep. and everyone's going to work really hard. That's what they want. They want graft from their players. Right. In Canada, what does it look like? No, that's a good point. I mean, when you think about it, it's exactly as you say. When you think about it, you can say, oh, yeah, they're going to be – they're German. So, I mean, we talk about a player that we're thinking of signing. It's, oh, yeah, he's coming from Germany. You know, this is the style <laughs> yeah. of player he's going to be. But if think of us – if we're in Albania looking at a Canadian player, what do we say? What is their style of play? What what are they all about? Where have they played <laughs> outside of Albania? Yeah. Huh? Your question was a good one because um, before I took before I took this job, of course, I was trying to get some things done at Victoria Soccer Club, uh, doing the same role you're doing, Kev, obviously with Scottish. And you know, and one of the issues that I had so very first meeting, and we talked about a style of play, and and I called, I, I mean, I stole the Everton way; it's just a term, but it's just a term. Yep. And we called it the Victoria way. And, and at the very first meeting, we talked about we are going to play with four in the back. And I said, every single team here will play with four in the back. Uh, so I don't care at that point. If you want to go 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, doesn't matter at that point, but we are going to play four in the back. And, um, and then we were going to follow certain principles of play. We were going to be a build-out-of-the-back program, and we were going to be a possession-based program. And uh, so one, one of the coaches that was there before I got there said, well, I play with three in the back. It was very simple for me. Well, actually, you don't anymore. Or you do with another club. It was cut and dry. But then the other problem that we have in saying that is we're dealing at the elite level because when we talk about ISA, and I don't mean to offend any organizations out there, but we talk about ISA, we, we were talking about elite club soccer. So these are the best young players we have. 
but yet we turn their training over to volunteers that typically don't get paid, mm-hmm. or they may get an honorarium, but we're talking to volunteers. They may or may not have any coaching licenses at that point. So how do you tell someone, well, you're not going to coach this team anymore when they volunteered the last three years? Of their... So this is the problem that I think that the second part of the problem, outside of not having maybe a dedicated style of play or a way of playing or principles of play, is that we have so many volunteers that are developing our best kids. Mm-hmm. You know, so this will get into later on discussions when we get into other topics, HPL, yeah. Yeah. governance structures, whatnot. So we'll, we'll touch on some of these. But, but for me, one of the biggest problems is certainly a volunteer, mom or dad, dealing with our best. Right, and no offense to them, but it'd be great to have some licensed coaches. We, we need them for in, sure. In we need well, you need, unfortunately, uh, you need both. You've you, you got to have the volunteer to help out yeah. to some degree. But you definitely need to, to progress a, a, the player. You need yeah. quality coaching. Uh, We've had elite as a backfield, I mean, elite has been typically in, in, in anything in any sport in Canada, maybe outside of hockey, a pretty negative word. I agree. Right? We want community and we want equality, yeah. but the word elite I think scares everybody yeah. for some reason. Mm-hmm. There, there's different pathways, of course. The recreational model will mm-hmm. always be driven by the volunteer. Yeah, and it right. should be for sure because the domain of recreation is participation. Right. And. Once you move beyond that for the athlete that wants more, needs more, craves more, and projects to have a, a, a potential to play above a, a club level, mm-hmm. what's, what do they need? And they may need someone who, it could be a mother or father, it could be someone who started in that role, but who is making an investment, not just in their formal education, but their informal education. Mm-hmm. They are around the game, right. they are steeped in the game, they're invested in the game, and they want to take all of that passion and translate it into the training, the match, the social activities, hitting on all those four pillars. Right. But for me, I don't feel that our elite club environment is elite. Right. It's elite, perhaps in name for only. For the area, yeah. it's elite. It, it is. For this area. But if for you within, took this elite group somewhere else, it may not be well, elite it, it anymore. it probably wouldn't be. Yeah. Well, right. we so, know Kevin, that. are you saying yeah, that licenses point. aren't that important? It's, no, I it's think, more I the think passion it, and... I think licenses are incredibly important, unquestionably. It's a piece of a, a larger puzzle. Um, just like a driver's license, a person can have a driver's license. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a good driver. Mm. You know, they, they may lose their license for demerits. Mm. They may cause accidents yep. and their insurance companies don't want them anymore. Having lived here, Kev, for about 15, <laughs> years, I can assure you that <laughs> having a license in Alberta does not mean you are a good driver. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't. It's unquestionably, I, I, it's part of the equation. Yeah. It is part of the equation. But there's other stuff that goes along with sure. it, um, and our players. And I'm going to use, you know, player is going to be the focal point of a lot of what I talk about because that has to be the, the starting point for all conversations. What does the player need? Mm-hmm. Not what the coach needs. Not what the administrator needs. Not what the association needs. Not what the you know. Not what the referee needs. It's, it starts with the player. Why are we involved in youth sport? It has to be because we want to give that young athlete something else, something in the game and beyond the game. Mm-hmm. Because how many players that enter into a community stream who elevate into a, a competitive stream and maybe to the Excel stream, how many of those are going to come through that funnel at the end um, and make a living out of the game? True. Very, 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 very well, few. And some may get a piece of their education or all of their education paid for, mm-hmm. some. 
But we have to give them something that goes beyond the game. Um, and not, not always do licenses provide that insight into what players actually need. Mm-hmm. We've had this discussion, you know, Kevin and I have had this discussion a lot about coaching education, about the licensing system, and I think, we're, I think we've been in agreement that a license certainly doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach, nor, mm. does, nor does a playing background mean exactly. you're going to be a good coach. Exactly. But sure. do you have a license? So I've always looked at a license for me. I've always looked at a license in, in Canada as supporting the association. So I think what it does give you, it, well, it gives back to the association that, that governs us all, and, and we'll get to that as well because I know when I say association in Canada, it can be taken quite loosely, I think. But um, what it also does, though, is because you're working with uh, CSA staff, then typically you have an idea of what they might be looking for in players. And, and if we can get a sense of by taking some of the licensing courses of a system of play that the CSA is looking for, then we can do a better job developing players maybe that fit the mold of a national program. Yeah. We first need a mold. Yeah. We first need a we first need a blueprint, right? And we've talked about that before, yeah. Kev. Well, so we just yeah. talked about Certainly. that five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly. But it's, what it's we uh, need. but Kevin's yeah. spot on. I mean, your license is a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. I, I understand your analogy when you're comparing it to a driver's license. But I mean, honestly, the driver's license took me five minutes to pass. A coach's a coach. I mean, we we watched Charles O'Toole, uh, you know, Nate coach, yeah. go through it with us in in, in Scotland. In Scotland he to, yeah, he had to go through, it. and it was. I mean, high and t- he he's, he was stressed over it. He had to of work course. hard at at, at, at at figuring out the training session they had to do on a camera that he has to submit to the. It's a lot more than what you go through to get a driver's license, unfortunately, for good or ill. Um, but I, I think there's a lot more onus put on that license than there is on other to compare it to a driver's license. Um, and I think having that license exactly what we were talking about five minutes ago where you you want this you want this kit what, what is our style of play in canada who what does a canadian player look like well if you don't have coaches going through this program to get their licenses then you don't have the governing body saying this is how we want to play right teach them how to play like this mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting for me one of the gaps that i see and i think we always have to measure gaps we have to analyze the gaps and the gaps at least for me, within our co- uh, our coaching community, is we do have certification, we do have licensing, but what about the continuing education piece? There's the, the stuff that fills the void um, outside of the classroom session, outside of the field work. What about the continuing education? What about? Um, and I look down south um, because. It's a North American experience. Not everything translates across the border, but we have some common threads that bind. Soccer, for better or worse, is not the preferred sport um, in Canada or in the United States, at least on the professional level for attendance or otherwise. Both sport, or both in both countries, soccer is viewed somewhat recreationally, unfortunately. So we have some common things some common challenges. And I think in the U.S. they do a better job at providing continuing education, yeah. whether it's through the NSCAA or, or U.S. soccer or U.S. youth soccer. or um, They have stuff to fill voids, mm-hmm. symposiums, workshops, conventions, and we just don't get enough of that other where I think you can get some special interest. Andres, you may have a, a special interest in, you know, the psychological pillar. So you're able to attend a workshop that, you know, devotes time to working with a young adolescent, you know, between the years. Not necessarily on the, on the, on the turf, but how do they approach the game? Mm-hmm. 
we don't get enough of that here. Yeah. And maybe it's geography, maybe it's population, maybe it's all those stuff. But for me, that's just a, an excuse. I totally think that's an excuse. I, I think there's there needs to be more people involved with trying to develop these symposiums. And, and I, I thought at one point, I remember the very first convention I went to. Oh, man, I can't even think of how many years ago it was. But it was at least 15 years ago. And it was in Nashville. It was the NSCAA. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to have a Canadian. I actually went to a meeting. And there was only like 10 people. Didn't we go to a meeting as well? For a Canadian version of a uh, yeah, we did, and it was it was so poorly. Yeah, uh, you know, there just wasn't enough people there. Yeah. to, to no. even think it could be sustainable. No, but I think I refused to having, sign my name on a document saying it, I was there. I'm like, yeah, no, exactly. I'm but I mean, yeah. having a convention similar to that, let's say in Toronto and, and or, or somewhere like Toronto, that, University of Toronto has tried it. Yeah. yeah, and they have it. It's not that they've tried they or attempted. They're hosting. Didn't we they host a one yearly one. one. And, and and I know yeah. the Gaffer's been to a couple of these things to do some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So right. what we need, I mean, because we're trying with the boot room, you know, again, Will Cromack, yeah. and I gotta, I'll give him again another shout out because what he's <laughs> trying to do with Play Better Sports, uh, using the Play Better philosophy and developing players, it's fantastic. But but he's really taken the coaching roundtable uh, to another level, and he's taken it nationally, and we've got these boot rooms around, but. You know, and I'm almost thinking now about you know, in the next boot room, do we need a topic? Do we need a theme? Do we need a guest speaker? Or can we just have a day where, where coaches just come and we meet? So it can be anywhere. But now you can have it at a, at a place like the first round. Yeah, exactly. It be a great place. But just have soccer coaches around a table that share a philosophy or don't, but they can debate it and just and talk over pints because some of your best learning, Kevin and I, some of our best yeah. conversations have been around a pint yeah, at a table. I think you and I talked about, and I, I shared with you a bit of research, when you poll a sport coach, it doesn't have to be football, it could be tennis for all that matters, some of their best learning happens across a table with like-minded people, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the formal arena of a, a cert- certification, a and a student, or, yeah. it, mentorship, all that stuff, but getting around and bouncing ideas off of one another and you know, kind of living it, mm-hmm. breathing it, we don't have that community of coaches. And, and it goes back to the youth sport experience, at least in Edmonton soccer, is we compete. Yeah. And we're, we're not just competing on the pitch on the day yeah. when the whistle blows. We're competing for players. We're competing yeah. for turf. And I don't mean turf time. Um, we're not sharing. Yeah. We're not sharing the resources. We're not sharing the ideas. Yeah. Um, and that's a failure. And how do we bridge that gap? Yeah. Well, it's initiatives like the boot room. Um, it's initiatives like this, and it'll take a number of people to, you know, sit down and help to, you know, provide a better experience for our players. Yeah. It has to be about players. You know what? And on that note, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, Kevin Passant, TD of uh, Edmonton Scottish, in, uh, in the booth with us. Uh, and join the conversation, guys. We'll keep it going. We'll be right back. Uh, this is Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton, coming to you live from First Round Sports Restaurant. Podcast of FC Edmonton. And we're back with uh, Rabbit Radio, FC Edmonton's official podcast. And uh, guest in with us is Kevin Passant, the TD of uh, Edmonton Scottish. He has a whole bunch of different uh, labels underneath him, I'm sure. 
which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. We are going to get right into a couple of more topics. Um, we're looking at the HPL in Alberta, and we'll also look at the landscape which is changing in Canada in regards to football. But we'll, we'll, go, uh, we'll go first with the HPL in Alberta. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? What do they have to do? Who wants to go first? Who wants to take the <laughs> HPL topic? Well, I'll just I'll lead in Kevin to this. Okay. And, um, yeah, so uh, Tony Fonseca was, was in town um, a couple weeks ago, and he put on a talk in St. Albert. Um, with uh, Anyhow, coaches were invited to attend or whatever the situation was, but probably about 20 uh, Different coaches and, and people from around different clubs, organizations. What levels of coaching? Like, what, what, what were they? East, I think, AMSA, you know what? what I think uh, a bit of both. I think the only mandate they put was that you had to have at least a provincial B license to attend. Okay. So, so I think they, yeah. So, um, but at any rate, and Tony talked about wanting HPL and, and really trying to press the need for HPL in Alberta. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we didn't get to last, last um, segment was, was the amount of players that Alberta's actually developed. And if you look at the Whitecaps, certainly the residency program there, uh, successes that have gone down to the States, successes in whether they play in professional, some whatever, we've actually been a fairly successful province the way things have been. But is it good enough? So, so we get into the HPL because will HPL make it better? And I'm of the belief that it would. I'm of the belief that when you take the best players and they play only against the best players, then they'll get better. Just like when you, our academy philosophy of getting good players and training them four times a week against good players, you could actually, as a, as a coach of our, of our academy, you could probably throw a ball into the middle of the field, let them play, and sit back and watch them play, and these kids will still get better. So the HPL for me has the same idea. Now, Kevin and I have sometimes not always agreed on, on, on everything, certainly. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure HPL, if we always have agreed on HPL. Uh, Kevin, I can't remember if we've had an in-depth discussion on it. But um, Wait, why is it not working? I guess why, why has it not? Because the first round they tried to bring HPL in, it was, it was uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that meeting. It was... Nobody was interested and, no, well, this is not happening. So where are we at? Why is it not? Why, why does Alberta, because you're in the trenches, Kev, so mm-hmm. why is it, sorry, Jay, I keep cutting you off here, pal, but why, why, is, uh, why is HPL not here already? Well, I think part of it is the conversation at times excludes the clubs that right. currently operate. And as you know, we're, we can all be very passionate when we do, devote and donate hundreds of hours, yeah, sure. not just a, a year, but a month. And when the club voice, and I'm putting that hat on right now, not just the hat of a person that wants to see the quality of, of player development improve in Canada, but the hat of a club guy, um, how do you include the clubs in that conversation? Right. Now, do I think there's a, a place mm-hmm. for... Um, Another level, another layer for players. Yes, I do, because I don't think the Tier 1, Tier 2 environment is enough. I think there is a sufficient uh, number of players, male and female, um, that would benefit from another layer of competition, especially now that we've seen across the country, not the death of, but the reduction of um, provincial select team programs. We no longer have an all-star national competition. So that takes away that, you know, talent ID opportunity that had existed otherwise. So how do you get that to happen? And it's funny because you, you hear some voices across North America that condemn football for not having promotion relegation. Something that exists across the world. Something that there's a huge appetite for. And, and 
I believe that promotion relegation ensures that all games are meaningful, whether it's the last you know kick in the in the in a league. It can mean a, a lot. Yeah. So how can you make that happen? It's not not happening currently with MLS and NASL, but could it happen at a club level? I think it could, and here's how I think it might is that if a club had a group of players at a specific age group, they had the technical resources, they had financial solvency, they had access to facilities, whether that's their own facility or the rental of a facility, if they check off all those boxes, whatever those boxes look like, they could enter a team into a tournament of some sort, a cup competition, to then qualify it to participate in an HPL. Mm-hmm. Because so many people at the club level think of the HPL or whatever you want to call it, whatever it might be called, as the death of club soccer. And that, for them, is a scary proposition. Right. And when you have more than 20 districts um, you know, voting on this type of an initiative, right. they want some certainty that not just their voice is heard, but that the work that they've done is respected. Sure. And so... I think unquestionably there's a need for that layer of competition. Mm-hmm. How do you in- integrate it with our current culture? And there is a culture within club soccer. I can't speak in PEI or Nova Scotia, right. but within Alberta. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I see. I saw HPL grow and start uh, in BC. I was still coaching in BC at the time. And it had its growing pains as well. It was the same thing where clubs didn't want to lose their top-end players. And, you know, it, it's, again, where are we developing now? Or, But it's tough. I know it's tough for, yeah. for clubs to, to let go of these players. But if they understand what this will do for those specific players in the bigger picture of football... Um, does it help? How do you get that across to clubs so they understand that? I think it was also um, the way they eventually set up where people within these clubs, and it could have been two or three clubs, and in fact, in some cases it was, that came together to form this HPL version of a club. And within that HPL, I think there was, to start with, there was three different age groups. Or, 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 or so. I, it's, it's been a while since I've been around BC, so I don't know what's, uh, you know, but I, I still know what's going on. I know one of the executive directors there, and that may be something that we can, you know, have him call in at one time and we can, you know, do that and talk to him about how they maintain it. Because I know they have weekly meetings on the league itself and how it's run and how it's operated and, and trying to get some um, normalization with, with costs and stuff. So every club is spending the same amount. They're paying the coaches the same. Because there was a little bit of a gap between some of the things. Because each one of those HPL clubs had their own technical directors. And they paid each coach an honorarium for coaching those teams. So it, it basically became what the province used to do. So those provincial teams are now HPL teams. When the province goes to tournaments, they pull the players from that, and then they go. It's, there's no more tryouts. There's no more anything. It's just a two-week period where they bring a couple of the kids together. Here, yeah, these are, this is the group that's going uh, yeah. for any of the provincial competitions. So is that why the provincial model hasn't lasted i i wasn't i didn't know that that uh, you know if you make alberta i thought that would be considered the elite of the elite you're getting the best players on your provincial team why is that not happening anymore why is alberta not able to well it should should be it should be not necessarily no so that one there so they've changed they've changed that landscape simply because um initially the three mls academies came in and the younger they started going with their programs 
than the assumption by um, so the, the best players by, weren't going to the provincial teams; they well, were going they to the clubs. Be. They, sh- they should already be with TFC, Whitecaps, um, Montreal. and Montreal. Montreal, <laughs> um, and then to a lesser extent, because we're more localized, would be us in Ottawa, where where the Whitecaps are much more nationally based. Yeah. Uh, TFC has that capability as well, uh, but Whitecaps more oh, so I by residency. Okay. So, so why would you? The CSA is no longer scouting, say, a U16 provincial. Yeah. Tournament because those those players that would be the elite players should already be at one of the pro academies. One of the academies. That, that's what, so that's the answer to that question, Dre. That's why. Okay. So, anyhow. but there's then this other group of players that that are not quite there, but better than their the, they they're so, maybe the top players on their club teams, yeah. but not quite good enough to make a uh, um, you know professional the, academy. That's or, why can't there be a league there? Or that, well, I think not that's properly exactly, identified, exactly. or that, not properly. But yeah, why can't that be a provincial team? Why can't that? I think that's the. I think what it was was to at least in BC, from what I understood, was it was trying to because clubs pay so much into the provincial. Thing. I think for every registration of a child, X number of dollars goes to the provincial association. And vice versa, from the association, it goes on to the um, CSA. So I, I think to cut costs of operating a provincial operation, at least in BC, the talk was they were going to scale everything back. Um, and, and they would have, like I said... The clubs run their own the, elite Well, the, the HPL would, would take... Uh, the form of something to develop the best players they could develop, and then for that two week period, it's almost like. Uh, Let's be honest. So it's a redundancy. I think so. I provincial, agree. So provincial program has players with all again with all due respect to anyone involved in provincial coaching. Yeah. Provincial program has players for ten training sessions over the indoor season. Now, Edmonton Scottish, though the coach of that particular age group, whether it be U thirteen, U fourteen, has had those players for say 10 months mm-hmm. training two three times a week yeah. so where is development being done and do we need another step so if there's an hpl okay. the argument is they're the hpl permanent. is their scouting environment that's they, the identification are, environment yeah. so they're with that club they're not going to play for scottish and then going to play at the hpl level as no, well no they're with the they, they hpl would, club well, scottish and, be an hpl team yeah, sure exactly yeah. 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 whatever you want to call it exactly sure. yeah. scottish exactly. is one of them the, the interesting yeah. thing for me is in the discussions of why HPL or whatever name you want to ascribe to it is, um, is it talent identification or talent promotion? And the, the, the two work hand in hand. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing, a lot of the research that's being done on those two pieces is players move in and out of those environments. And at the end of it, at whatever U level you want to talk about, U17, U20, um, at Olympic level, U23, how many of those players come out of those programs and feature in a professional environment or a national team. And it's interesting that the, the research is that the players that are identified at the youngest ages do not make rare or rarely make it right. out of that funnel. Mm-hmm. The 13-year-old that is identified early, on what basis have they been identified? And as they move through that promotion process of moving from this team to that team and then hopefully beyond, um, what benefit is that going to provide whatever program, whether it's FC Edmonton, whether it's Ottawa Fury, whether it's the national team? Um, so at what level do we start an HPL? Do we start it at U13? 
Do we start it at U15, where the likelihood might be um, that that kid that we've identified that can place into an HPL, they're being identified for uh, reasons other than growth. You know, a 12-year-old that's yeah. identified because of they're an early developer, you know, size, size, speed, strength, those get negated over time to some degree. Sure. Um, and then the kid who solves problems, they have creativity, they have a guile to their game because they're not big and strong or necessarily, you know, blessed with a lot of pace. Maybe that kid could then get into that U15 or U16 HBL program. My experience, right or wrong, when I was involved with the select team program was the kids that got placed at U13. Many of them stayed with U14, U15, U16, but by the time they hit U18, they couldn't get a game at a premier level in a senior amateur team in Edmonton. So we have given them four years of next level opportunity with a select team. And, And Jeff's right, the winter training programs we're limited by facility. We're limited yeah. by resources. We can't. We don't have enough contact with those athletes to really mm-hmm. impact their development. But we get those kids for 10, 12 sessions in the winter. We get them for a week in the summer before they go to a competition. Then they compete, and then they leave. And the amount of money that was devoted to those programs, would it have been better robbing Peter and giving Paul yeah. and Paul being coach education? Mm-hmm. Um that might have had a greater impact. That may have produced more players that could get to the next level. But the, the sad piece for me is I know that the, the five professional clubs are providing good training environments for their, their male athletes. Um, and that had an impact on why maybe all-star programs across yeah. the country fell by the wayside. But what about the female? Yeah. What about the female? And yeah, I know and, that... And that's a question Tom Fath asks us uh, yeah, all the time. Sure. As well. and, all the time. And... and <clears throat> You know, bless Tom and Dave Fath and the FC Edmonton for supporting women's football. But is that the case across the country? Mm. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's really just the Rex program, isn't it? And some have and some yep. don't. And it's a big requirement to get in there. I just want to quickly say one thing, Kev, about um, because you touched on talent identification versus selection. And, and unfortunately, in my experiences in ASA, um, Sounds like I'm having a go here at ASA, and I'm certainly not because it's a, it's, I'm, I'm fond of my time at ASA. But, but even though this was supposed to be a development step, and you go to the All-Stars and you go to U15, Provincial, mm-hmm. whatever you want, All-Stars, or U16, even yep. though it's supposed to be development or a player identification and a development program, you were trying to win the tournament. Of course. And you were trying to win. Okay. So you were selecting players to help you win. And we get back again. You're selecting players at the moment. And when you select players, whenever someone phones, I get, whenever I get an email or a phone call from a coach in the city that wants me to come and look at a player, they've got a player for our academy, and I love that, so keep that going if you're doing that for me now. But um, I always ask, okay, well, can you give me some background on the player? And I would say eight times out of ten, what I hear back is, while they're really fast, they're really strong, they're physical, so <laughs> typical Canadian player, but this is again, <laughs> but this, this is for me, then just goes back to what Kevin just said about yeah. we're not identifying talent here. Yeah. We're selecting talent based yeah. on a physical trait, yeah. exactly. not, not a footballing trait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this has been for me, the problem in, in Canadian football is, mm-hmm. is we've always valued the physical traits, which it's not a football skill, is it? No, it's, it's frustrating for me, obviously 
Um, not being the biggest lad, <laughs> I, have a, I have a soft spot for, for other people that are vertically challenged. Um, I've heard it said, and I, I honestly believe it, would a Lionel Messi have made it in Canada? I know. I don't know. I'm not saying yes or no, but the norm, and I joked about it, and I can't remember who I was joking, at a Copa America, the average height of Chile was 5 foot 8 inches. Yeah. It's like so, a team of Eric Munoz is running around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a bunch of Eric Munoz and Chris Lemire's. Yeah. Um, but clearly, their talent selection has not been based on physical attributes. It's right. based on something else. Is it creativity? Is it um, technique on demand? Is it uh, you know an appetite to play? Mm-hmm. Um, a competitive drive, and it's that other pillar. It's not the technical. It's, it's not the physical. It's that psychosocial and the tactical, right. which aren't obvious to everyone. You can't immediately see that when you watch from a touchline. Oh, that kid, he, he loves the game. He solves problems. Look at how creative he is, especially at a younger age. And I think we lose a lot of kids in Canada. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. You're right. We, we do lose a lot of kids in yeah. Canada as they get older. And, and I'm just looking at the BC website here for their HPL League, which is now called the BC soccer premier league and it's u13 boys and girls up to u18 boys and girls so i mean that's a, that's a i mean that's where you want to sort of start do you not the competitive thing i always say anytime people come to me for keepers well when should they decide to be a keeper well the reality is for me not until they're u12 they show an aptitude for it beforehand then fine and that's where I think getting into that higher competitive level, 13 is a, is, a, is a good age. 14 would be optimum for me to start, but that's just my own thought. So I think everybody's uh, unique, and it just depends on the, on the child and where they've been, who they've been taught by, trained uh, by. leading into it. If yeah. you've got an 8-year-old who's been coached by, a, a, by a, a, a coach that suits the model of what you're looking for, then yeah. he might be an early uh, he or she. He might, might be. So, yeah. I mean, HPL is going to be a big commitment. And, it is a big so, commitment. It's a sure. big commitment. So, so, at what age do we want young athletes to stop playing other sports? Because when you get into the whether it's a pro academy yeah. or an HPL type level with the commitment required, then we're basically saying you're going to stop doing other sports. So, what age? Because yeah, I'm, I'm a, a believer. That's a good I'm a believer, especially certainly as a keeper, Kevin that's is a good point. Yeah. in our conversations. And but I'm a believer that, that kids need to play lots of sports. And, well, yeah. And I have I have Agreed. young I have young academy kids. Parents ask me all the time. Well, can they? I'm like, yes. Can they do this? Yes, they can. Well, I mean, it, it goes back to the, 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 the whole Wayne Gretzky story. And I know we're switching sports there slightly. But he played. He said as soon as hockey season was over, when he was younger, the gear went in the garage. He had a baseball glove or he had a soccer ball. He's a lacrosse he, player. Lacrosse. He played every other sport under the sun. It wasn't just hockey, hockey, hockey. All his well, uh, For a keeper, youth. I mean, playing volleyball, playing badminton. Anything. Tennis. All the. <laughs> but there's a reason, in my opinion, that the United States developed so many top-class goalkeepers. Because they, these kids cross-train. They play so many different sports. Oh, for sure. Parker. That, yeah. that, you know, a flighted ball, a cat. All that anything, stuff. yeah, any of the and, ball work. Yeah, no, I'm certainly Matthew of Hoko. the opinion. You know, really soccer is a late specialization sport. Yeah, and when we can yeah. get kids to experience other sport, you're reducing not just the risk of mental fatigue, but it reduces the risk of injury. They become more rounded athletes, and yeah. they can then decide: Is soccer really what my I want to do? Yeah. Um, 
And of course, I want it to be their passion because I love the game. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I learned it on the knee of my Glaswegian mom, so it, it's <laughs> you know it's important to me. But it might not be for everyone. No, of course. So I want them to experience school volleyball. Yeah. Uh, and hey, I want them to have a, a rich school life. Mm-hmm. And when I say no, sorry, you can't play basketball, volleyball, run track, um, do badminton. I obviously don't love. For the footwork yeah. and stuff like that, it's, I, it is fantastic. I tease, I tease but my, my point is, at what age are we then requiring a level of commitment that borders on professionalism? Exactly. And, you know, I mentioned before, I'll mention again, beyond the game, when these kids leave, what have they learned? Right. Do they love football or do they look at it, gosh, that was a real grind in my life? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't want that. No. I don't want that. And I, I, I think the cream rises to the top, irrespective of environment. To some degree, you need, you need the right environment. But the great players are going to be great. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course they will. Sure. But, that, I mean, the great players are going to be great. But then there's this, and that's the tip, right? Yeah. Then there's this massive pile of players who are above average, you know, that you don't want to miss because you can still develop those kids into becoming well above average players, if not great players. You know, you don't, Yeah. I so, think that, I think there is still a, a place, like you know, like we talk about. There's going to be a league, and they'll always get noticed if they become the cream. As Kevin was just saying, they're going to be there. They're going to be seen. It might be a year later than Joey over here, but Jimmy will eventually get there. Oh no, Jimmy's never Jimmy, getting there. You're never, you're never, <laughs> Jimmy never getting there. Not a chance. Right, Jimmy? <laughs> right, Jimmy. Hey, listen. On that note, uh, we we need to take another break here. Uh, great conversation. We're going to continue with the uh, changing landscape of uh, soccer in Canada. We'll be right back with Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton, in just a minute. Listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. And we're back, Rabbit Radio, live in the first round sports restaurant in downtown Edmonton. Uh, lovely summer evening here. What's the weather like outside? Hot. Damn is hot. Is, is it hot? Hot. Damn hot. Hotter than a snake's ass, I'd say. <laughs> Open your window. Open your window. <laughs> uh, we're back here. We're talking all kinds of uh, wonderful stuff to do with football. Uh, HPL was the subject as we left. JP, I had a couple of more thoughts here on the HPL. No, we're just going to tie it up, actually, before okay. I move on. And You know, I think, I think everyone here was, it was in agreement that on HPL and another level of play for our elite players, and I'm going to throw the word out elite because... They too often elite players get lumped in with very good players, yeah. and elite are a different player than a very good player. So, but right. there has to be now. Uh, I think everyone was in agreement then. Yes, yes to HPL. Obviously, we yeah. want the best players giving a chance to to move on and see what they can achieve in the game. I think as long uh, as there's competition for them, as long as they've got. And that's teams. what it's, it's competition. Yeah. It's competition. We you know, but even HPL in BC, I think there's some lopsided scores of. Oh, that, oh of know? course so, there have been. Yeah, but uh, but no, we certainly want competition and and then. There's standards involved as well because we talked. One of the things we talked about when we were off mic there, you know, Kevin brought up a great point about um, in BC they can they can institute a retreat line, mm-hmm. and I think most footballing people that are in it to develop players would agree in the benefits of a retreat line, but try to get that into Alberta, mm-hmm. and how many, let's just say, non-footballing board member volunteers 
have no idea that, that the benefits of it and just flatly refuse to, to bring it in. Mm-hmm. So these are the issues that our sport faces. Yeah. They face volu- – volunteers are great. We need them on the boards. We need their support, certainly. But we don't need them making decisions for the game. And we certainly don't need them making decisions for an HPL league which they wouldn't because it'll be association run. So it'll be a league run by soccer people for soccer, for elite soccer players. Yeah. Uh, the trick being, of course, and what happens to the clubs that aren't involved. I love when Kevin brought in the conversation about promotion relegation because uh, that's a hot topic in North American sport right now yeah. at, at all levels, yeah. certainly MLS and the NESL. Um, that could be another podcast. But um, So I think it's a valid point because we can't – the teams that don't get a, an HPL spot – that have contributed years and years and years of youth development certainly can't just be pushed aside and they become almost a community program. Yeah. So how do we make it work have to have for a every yeah. club? Yeah, for every club that's working hard developing players, there needs to be there needs to be. You should a, still have to fit the criteria to get into that HPL. There's a criteria. Yeah, yeah, but then if you've not met it in year one, can you get there year two? And as long as there's those options available yeah. for the clubs that aren't there year one, I think you'd have more buy-in, yeah. right? So is that fair, Kev? Yeah. A yes. summary? Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would agree 100 percent with that. Um, it's just recognizing the landscape because there is a landscape mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's unique to Alberta, but there's a, an Alberta context that we have to operate within. Right. Um, a lot of good people have put a lot of good years into exactly. their passion projects and how do we recognize that and how do we allow them a place at the table? Right. They may not stay at the table. They may not even want to dine there, but can we invite them there? And if we do that, I think there's going to be acceptance because it has to go there. We can mm-hmm. see it's gone there in other jurisdictions. And if we want to provide our players from recreational through to the most competitive, the, the appropriate place to maximize their potential, we need that layer. We just don't have it right now. Right. Yeah, that makes really? total sense. Yeah. And a, and a perfect time to switch into the next subject. Yeah, so this one I think, uh, so for me personally, this is a a topic that I absolutely love, you know, and again, how do we make it work because we're an NSL program, Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying this is that we'd have to leave the NSL, certainly FC Edmonton, you know, uh, there has to be, just like you would expect the Whitecaps leave MLS. However, the CPL, the long-rumored Canadian Professional League, um, which more and more people are saying that this is now well past rumor stages and that this is a reality that's coming, um, I'm a huge fan. I don't mind saying that. I, I want this to happen. I want this to happen for coaching development in our country. I want this to happen because there's not enough full-time positions available in the game for good Canadian coaches. Mm-hmm. And that's who, at the end of the day, I support Canadian coaches. With Again, I love all the coaches that have moved from other countries and done wonderful things. They're doing a great job. A lot of good friends of mine. But what does the... What does the Canadian coach have to look forward to and aspire to when there's so few jobs available? So CPL do that, but then more importantly is it gets to these players. And we're seeing the successes right now. So Calgary, Foothills, uh, PDL final. All Canadian kids, all young kids come through their program. I think a few of the other programs might have might have submitted like Southwest and Blizzard, maybe have one or two players in the program. I'm yeah. not sure. Certainly, we've got uh, Ajij from from here in Edmonton was part of our program for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, is he with you right now? Would he no, he's um, no. It, it looks like on the post secondary side, he's going to move to the University of Alberta. Okay. Um, they also have Dylan Powley, who's come out of the Edmonton Drillers program and had go. played for McEwen, and he's done brilliantly. Um, the Foothills program demonstrates that there's a place for the Canadian player exactly. and that there's a need for that level of competition for the Canadian player. Exactly. And, you know, when we were off air, you know, I went off on a tangent about 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm old enough, and I'm sure 
DWR, you remember... Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> you remember the old, you know, the Edmonton Brickman and, and the oh, yeah. Winnipeg Fury and all those teams across yeah. Canada. Yeah. Um, and as a kid, I was excited to, to watch that. Yeah. We need that. I we was, need a national league yeah. that goes coast to coast. Yeah. There, there was nothing better than watching those championships, like the, when Vancouver would play against the yeah. Brickman or... I think even Winnipeg won it one year. I was a ball boy for the old Toronto Blizzard. Were you? Unfortunately, probably the same time Colin Miller played for them, so <laughs> that's dev- that was devastating to me. Well, that'll be happy um, for Colin. Yeah, because I was not that much younger than him, I guess, when he went there. But but those are the memories. That's so embarrassing. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're I was probably well. In fairness, in fairness, he is about four or five years older than me. Okay. So I would have been 13 to his 18. So it's not so bad. No, that's regardless. not so bad. But yeah. Still so a little now that I've thrown his age out there, and I'm 46 by the way, so now you can figure out his age. But um, no. But that that inspired a generation. And of that, course and it I did. I think that took yeah. the game up a level, and that certainly yeah. inspired all of us. And and that's what the CPL can can bring back. So we've got the PDL team doing very well Canadian kids mm-hmm. um, Whitecaps too the USL team those are now they're playing now predominantly Canadian players over the last so many months which wasn't the case last year no. and they're near top of the table the team is doing fantastic with young Canadians so again the Canadian player is able to compete when given a chance at, at legitimate playing minutes you know we look at in our program right now so we've had some some success with players coming out of the academy that are Edmonton kids mm-hmm. Edmonton born through our club system initial grassroots here club system in Edmonton into our academy and now playing on the NASL team and you look at Milan Roberts is now playing in Ottawa but doing very well scored his first goal for Ottawa the other day um, Alan Zeeby's come through he's gotten decent minutes uh, certainly top I think he was about 10th or 12th in North America NASL US or NASL MLS for a Canadian last year. That's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. Milan was, I think, number eight. Uh, Shamit Shom is. I mean, I can't think of a brighter example of a young kid. Now, Shamit Shom, because he's not a big monster, he's a he's a slim kid. Uh, would he have been given a chance if this environment right now that we have didn't exist? So, so when I think of the CPL. I think of a way to not only develop Canadian coaches, but I think of a way that can inspire a generation of young players. And when, now when the clubs are developing the young players that are U10, U12, U14, and they've got a team in their city that's a CPL team, yeah. whether it's Winnipeg, Regina, Calgary, um, Hamilton, Calgary, whatever. I'm a, I'm a Trontonian, so we don't talk about <laughs> Hamilton, uh, at least not positively. But I threw it out there. For you no, know, but they, they will have a team. Uh, they've already said that. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that kind of spilled the beans, right? So, so I think this is massive. And so, I, I guess the initial question is to everyone at the table: Do you support it? Uh, I, I think for me, and you've talked about the what, what it gives uh, a kid growing up in Edmonton uh, a chance to to move on to to look forward to I think that's massive I think it also uh, creates the need for these facilities that we are so lacking in. Oh, there's a next um, topic as well. Right? You've We're got hammer you, that. If, if you can get a Canadian professional league, they absolutely need places to play. And and yeah. and and if it's a piggybacking, and we've talked about it before, if it's piggybacking on a CFL stadium, yeah. uh, which we have a number number of new ones built in this in this nation, mm-hmm. uh, then so be it. Ideally, you have soccer specific, but beggars can't be choosers. No. Um, let's get these guys into quality professional facilities where they're not going to be worried about twisting an ankle playing in nationals. You know, or I mean, that's I don't know if that's a concern, but I'm just saying, we we don't we don't we don't look at 
Canada is a soccer nation. We don't have facilities for soccer teams to play in. I mean, we roll down the street and you see three outdoor rinks. You see, of course, you see outdoor fields in Edmonton, but they're not maintained. They're, they're only open for three months of the year. It's, they're it's, never cut. The lines it's, are it's, never it's not done. Good it's, enough. it's not good enough for honest. a professional yeah. level, yeah. and that's what will have to be addressed if you, get, if you get this league coming in. I think that's well, massive. If you ha- when, not if. When the, the CPL happens, you now have 8 to 10 franchises across the country with 12 to 14 Canadian players. Right. Now you're, you might have 150 Canadian players playing at a level that was never available to them before. And if even 10 of those players became national team player pool candidates, mm-hmm. now you have a much deeper pool yeah. from which to draw. And you might get that late developing player mm-hmm. who, you know, at 17 might not have been the finished product, but at 22 might be something. Mm-hmm. That opportunity doesn't really exist. We have five teams across Canada playing at a professional level, right. three of, uh, of which at the MLS whose mandate may not be as strong towards developing Canadian talent because they're playing at what I guess we call in the North American context a Division One level. You add that extra opportunity. Yeah. 150 kids, men, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how can that not benefit the exactly. national program? It has to benefit. But then how sure do you convince that kid who, who looks like, okay, at 17, pretty good kid, but at, you think at 22, that kid's going to be fantastic and contribute to the senior national team. How do you convince that 17-year-old to stay in the CPL and not entertain opportunities in the MLS or, or beyond Europe, Asia, wherever, where they're spending money on these kids? Yeah. Well, I, I would say... Go to the MLS. If yeah. that 17-year-old has that opportunity, right. please okay. go. Okay. Exactly. Um, but is there an opportunity if, if Jeff Paulus is 17, he's a quality player, and you know, some MLS team wants to sign him, could they loan him back to the CPL for a year or two or three? For yeah. development. For, for development purposes. That's yeah. what I'd like to see. If, if is that, there that possibility? If yeah. those possibilities were there, then this would be great. <laughs> this would be well, fantastic. Could, could FC Edmonton affiliate with the CPL team? See that would be great as and well, and, and we've, yeah. we've we've looked at these. I mean, with with this, I mean, this is close to your heart, D Dub, with Nathan Ingham being able to loan a player amongst a CSA team. I mean, we've just sent Nathan Ingham over to TFC too. Yeah, um, and we can recall him because the window has that gone out. The window there? being closed, has that gone out there? Is it out there yet? It'll be out there. Write that up, Jimmy. That's you folks. Listening into our podcast, yeah. Nathan Ingham, the good uh, luck to Nathan, the, the goalkeeper, yeah. one of the goalkeepers in our pool. We've just loaned him to TFC number two, um, and he's supposed to get some starts and start playing in the USL for the rest of their season. Couple of months, good seasoning for him, great opportunity for him, great opportunity for our club as well mm. uh, to open that door to loaning. I mean, who knows? Stuff can right, go both I, ways. I think you got to look beyond it because there was another opportunity where we could have loaned a player out to an American USL team, but we could not recall him in, in that loan environment because the windows closed between you know CSA and USSF. Uh, I, see I think I they see need to relook at that if we're going to have a CPL yeah, team that yeah. that wants to loan players out to let them go to these bigger clubs. We need to be able to recall, recall them. Recall so, them for sure. You know? and, and, but that, what, that comment right there it, for me, also validates the need for a CPL. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the MLS, the USL, and the PDL, to some extent, do not do not care about developing Canadian players. 
I mean, the, U, the MLS, you could say, is, is pretty much the USSF, as it seems, anyhow. And they, pull the, they seem to pull the strings. So what would the USSF have any... Have, why would they have any interest in developing a Canadian player to make our national team better and we have to go against each other for a berth into a, a Gold Cup or a berth into a, well, World Cup? So... So there's, there's not. So we need our own, our own associations, our own association running league. At the end of the day, if we're going to care about Canadian kids, if we're going to care about the game in Canada, develop our own players, we need to be in control. Sure, of that. nobody like else is going to care about them. Other, yeah. No, no, it, no chance. No chance. No chance. It is interesting when you mentioned piggybacking on some of the Canadian Football League infrastructure, stadium-wise or otherwise. The CFL does a job of protecting the Canadian football player. Right. We have imports, and we have spots for Canadian players. Right. You would assume that the, the CPL, when it gets off the ground, will ensure a minimum number of Canadian players on the roster mm-hmm. and a minimum number of com- Canadian players on the field. Yeah, on the field. Yeah. At the whistle. Yeah. Yeah. Because they do that in the CFL. Yeah. We know right. that the strength of a CFL franchise is based on its Canadian talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, the CPL has to be the same. Yeah, agreed. agreed. So has it gone to more to. than just like we're the the, the the punter and the field goal kicker Canadian? Do I actually have like, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's a, I mean, so we've got like is there a I don't know if there are any skill Canadian positions? quarterbacks per se, but yeah. uh, there are there. I mean, I think there's running backs. I think there's <laughs> offensive. I mean, offensive linemen are the most important team uh, group in the game, aren't they? So and there's definitely Canadians in that okay. position. Yeah, the important players are Canadian in the CFL. Absolutely, Absolutely just, it was a legitimate question. Okay, answered. A legitimate question. Okay. Uh, it's a great, it's a great sport. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's take another quick break. We're going to come right back here with uh, a bunch more thoughts. We'll do a, an NASL roundup and wrap up of the week that was, the week that's coming up as well. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. Official podcast of FC Edmonton. JP, what do you got for me? So, all right, before I can I just ask, I'm gonna. There's a, a question ahead. came in. A question. On, on sorry, question came in. Yeah. So the question is from Andrew Cameron. Uh, any definitive word on a national youth license? Uh, national be equivalent happening in Canada? Um, the answer is yes. It's coming, uh, but we don't know when. So great stuff. Yeah, is that very no, informative it, podcast? Yeah, no, but it's no. In all seriousness, so uh, it is in the works for sure. I know the CSA, the CSA is putting a lot of time into revamping some of these courses. Uh, we talked about earlier with the uh, coach education uh, being what's the standard? Do we want licensed coaches? And and let's just throw out there that uh, the one thing I do think is that our coaching education courses need to be more accessible. Mm-hmm. They need to require fewer people to take weeks off of work travel and spend a thousand dollars on a plane ticket to travel to somewhere else in the country to take them and, and once that changes i think they'll find that people actually are able to find more time to take them which is which is also part of the issue as well so accessibility is, is a big question but that that program i have seen the blueprints for for the courses coming out um and, and certainly youth licenses on their mandate to bring a youth license out as is a pro license yeah uh somewhere down the future so so we'll, we'll see when that uh comes about now just to tie up in the cpl um, because the big thing about the CPL right now, 
just to tie this up, and it's going to kind of lead into our next uh, topic of conversation, which will be facilities. And where the CPL becomes important is because I think at the moment, governments view our sport as just a recreational sport, that kids play it because it's a cheap sport to play, uh, and this is the attitude, and it's been treated that way. And um, we can get the numbers here, and Kevin is, is honestly the most brilliant person I know when it comes to facts. And uh, so he'll have some here. But at the end of the day, what a CPA will do, it will legitimize our sport as a professional sport. Um, so besides being the most participated in sport mm-hmm. in this country, um, and that's over hockey and football combined, still by a long shot, um, it's treated poorly by governments. It's underfunded. It's undervalued. Um, and, and they will not support us with facilities. So... Uh, how do we make this change? And perhaps the CPL can do that. So, you know, at least we'll be seen professionally. Uh, I want to turn it over then. So let's just turn this around now. Uh, go to um, go to governments. Go to facilities. Uh, have they supported our sport? Um, when we talk about funding per player in, a, in each particular sport, where does soccer rank? Mm-hmm. And I think Kevin will tell us here very, very soon that it ranks quite poorly compared to other sports as far as government funding. Uh, and then just resources and facilities. So on that note, Kev, there it's all yours, pal. Facilities. Thanks, Thanks for turning it over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I'll be in the park. No. Um, it's something that, for me, I have very strong feelings. Um, I don't think many basketball coaches would tolerate a rim being at 11 foot 2. I don't think a lot of hockey coaches would accept, you know, blue lines being moved here, there, and everywhere. I don't think a volleyball coach would accept the attack line not being three meters. Ah, forget it. We'll make it two meters six. There are standards in all of these sports, but when it comes to soccer, our governments look upon it as something that's pretty flexible. That's, we can have a pitch that's 55 yards wide and 90 yards long. That's okay. Um, we can ask our players to play a game that is not the real game in the wintertime. We'll put boards uh, up because it kind of looks like hockey. And we kind of like that sport. Um, it's frustrating. Now, I like the, the pointy football. I don't mind the Canadian Football League. Um, I have great memories growing up with lots of great cups in Edmonton. But the level um, to which the football, the game of football is funded in Alberta relative to soccer, it's staggering. Government grants that are issued every year, and this is publicly accessible information. Anyone with the old interweb can go in there and punch in some, some simple search um, terms. Football is getting about, since grants have started, $2,100 per football player. There's 12, less than 12,000 football players. Football Alberta has 12,000 um, members, which includes right. officials exactly. and coaches Volunteers and then the player piece. Alberta has over 90,000 soccer players. That's right. And yet we are asking soccer players to kind of pick up the dregs. You can use this facility, but we're going to ensure that we paint the bejesus out of it with markings that have no place on a soccer pitch. Now, we right. would never ask a football team to play on a, on a field that's not properly marked. We wouldn't have uprights that are placed in different places. We standardize those measurements in that game. Right. We honor that game. We honor hockey. We honor basketball. We honor volleyball. But you can put all of those games together, and they don't have the number of members that soccer does. Mm-hmm. Yet we have wildly different facilities available to, our, uh, to us. No wonder our development model is a mess. Yeah. 
Which I think don't, this is awesome. Awesome. Uh, You're hitting it on the head. Oh, totally hitting it on the head. This is the best, yeah. yeah. And, and we live in a, call it, you know, a winter country. Our, our climate, at least in Alberta, and for almost every province in, in Canada, excluding the lower mainland and pockets in, in the Maritimes, we're socked in six months of the year. Yeah. So what are we doing during those winter months? Well, we're not doing what other Nordic countries are doing. That's right. Iceland, yeah. with a population smaller than Halifax, Nova Scotia, have more you know, indoor football arenas, they call them, but these are 11 v. 11 football-specific Full-size pitches. fields. Full-size fields. Yeah. They, have, they have over, I think it's now 11 for a country of 325,000 people. Bless Winnipeg, where my wife's from. So I've, I've spent time there. They have three full-sized 11 v. 11 facilities. Edmonton has precisely zero. Yeah. Calgary has zero. And you can go across you know, our great province. And we have some facilities like a Commonwealth Fieldhouse, like yeah. the Victoria Fieldhouse. Um, Grand Prairie's got a, got a place as well. But these are not 11 v. 11 full-size Facilities. That's so we're asking our athletes. I hope spring, summer, and fall work for you, because come winter time, you're not That's playing right. the real game. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. I'm sorry, Connor McDavid did not have to play ball hockey to develop his game. That's right. He had sheets of ice available at to his him disposal at, year round at two to four million dollars, depending on construction costs. Call it three million dollars per sheet of ice. Generally, yeah. field turf facilities we can build. Mm. Three of them for the, that cost. And that's the numbers, Kev, I wanted you to say, because let's not mistake these outdoor fields that are currently in the state. These are not built specifically, specifically for our sport. These are part of community projects to have a green space, and they happen to put two nets in. Hmm. And these things are lined once every two months, here and there, if they get around to it. These things are cut every three, four weeks, and in the winter they forget about them. Yeah, of course. So, so let's not let the city come across and say, well, we've got this many soccer fields. No, you really don't. You've got green spaces where you've put up two nets and you poorly maintain them. Yeah. And at a minimal cost at that, the price mm-hmm. of paying a university student to go there once every three weeks with a lawnmower, a ride on lawnmower, and cut the grass. This is not the same type of support that the city gives to hockey, to basketball, and certainly to football. Well, I I look at, on the back of the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup, we had a brilliant facility built over the Clairview Rec Center. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that, well, we're going to put football lines on this after the Women's World Cup. Yeah. Why? Can't we have a city-owned soccer-specific field turf facility, not owned by the Edmonton Soccer Association, not the ESA complex, mm-hmm. one that's just for soccer. Yeah. But no, we, we can't. But they didn't put the lines in in the end. They painted them on for football when they show up, which is very rare. But you still do at what cost? What yeah. cost yeah. is required to well, put we down the those cost lines? Very well here I know you guys do. Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's expensive. We, it's, we, real, <laughs> it's real expensive to put them on and take them off. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And th- but that's a cost that the c- city is willing to incur to support a sport other than soccer. That's right. That's not something that we're willing to do to support the world's most popular game exactly. and Canada's most popular game by virtue of participation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have more f- little footballers than yeah. little basketball players, little hockey players. Yeah. And that, those numbers extend all the way through the age groups. Yeah. I want to see you know, our governments, all three levels, municipal, provincial, federal, making an investment in the Absolutely. world's most popular game. Yeah, yeah. yeah Every outdoor sure. rink, it, we talked about this last time, right, Dre? We talked about yeah. every single outdoor rink. 
if they turf it, first of all, because you can, you can ice over turf, no problem, turf it, run a set of boards down the center line, have two cutouts uh, on each of the end boards, and you could have two 3v3, 4v4 pitches that would be used all summer long in every demographical area of our city. And, and you and I have had some, you know, a little Twitter back and forth. Yeah. There are municipalities across North America that are doing exactly that. That's right. They're ret- tennis courts. Yeah, they've mm-hmm. retrofitted tennis courts, yeah. um, basketball courts. They are putting in small-sided goals, whether mm-hmm. that's on a tarmac and playing a futsal-style game, or they are turfing them um, yeah. throughout tons of urban neighborhoods. And what are we doing here? Yeah, but that's almost to the detriment of your argument. I mean, saying that we're basically saying, uh, you know, soccer, football is is the sport that anybody can play. You 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 know, put a bunch of tape together and make a ball, and you can kick it around. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're asking for here. I mean, they're yeah. saying, sure, you can play that anywhere. Here, we'll 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 transform that outdoor rink into a it's, football pitch in the summer. But that, that, that the flavor that's du jour. Not what we're asking about no, the flavor du jour coming out of Euro has been Iceland. Everyone talks about the amount of money of they've put towards coaching education, but the one piece that. Um, if you talk to most Icelandic football people, they talk about facilities. And it's not just the formal 11 v. 11 football pitches. They have okay. more field turf pitches in, in Iceland than in Western Canada. That they split yeah. up. But yeah. they, also, they also have their football arenas for their, their wintertime. Of course. They also just have playgrounds with soccer-style goals where any kid can show up and not just climb monkey right. bars, but chuck a ball onto a pitch and play. Yeah. Not unlike inner cities in the United States of America where you can ball. You can pick up, you know, a basketball, go there and get a game. You can't Mm -hmm. do that in Canada. You can't play soccer and just bring a ball and get a game. Why? I'm not going to play 3v3 to 8x24 goals at a a junior high pitch. I'm not. That's right. Can I get a 3v3 game at a playground? I'd love to. Yeah, I can't. But you know what? Stay some play. I, I'm thinking yeah. that I'm thinking that these these the, the politicians, the people at all the different levels, need to start watching the tube a bit more, because the barometer has definitely shifted. You see way more football or soccer on television now, mm-hmm. so that means there has to be a demand for the sport that people want to watch it. So wouldn't it sort of hold true that there's a need for... I don't even think that's... A, I think what these guys... Is, the numbers dictate that this is no, something I know, you but, but need it's to the, do. The numbers dictate what you can watch on television, mm-hmm. too. They, they yeah. go through reams and reams of information it's to find out... It's a popular sport. We all know that. It, it's it, participation numbers that you have to cater to. But I mean that there's got to be a reason yes. for it. There's got to be a reason for it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And right. right. The kids are watching the tube and they're, and they're learning. Yeah, I right? tweeted yeah. out this past week. Hockey is a great sport. Football is Soccer. a great sport. No, no. Oh, like American NFL. football. Okay. North American football. It's NHL. a great sport. Uh, NFL and to a lesser extent CFL. Um, <laughs> CFL's much better. No chance. But anyhow. Um, but they're great sports. But... Soccer, real football, is the world's sport. And Edmonton always wants to sell itself as being a world-class city. Edmonton always is out there is trying to get business here, business there. Uh, the Business Development Center is designed to do just that, bring yeah. in business from outside countries. Well, if you're going to be a, a, a world city that doesn't support the world's game, when every other city you're dealing with certainly does support the world's game, then what commonality do you already have? Yeah. Or do you support this game and you already have an in? with these other countries that this is their number one sport. So, I mean, they can, fair enough. You know, Commonwealth Stadium, I, I've been having a go about this as well because I got the stupid little hashtag, paint of blue. Commonwealth Stadium, a city-owned, publicly-owned facility. Taxpayer money 
$12 million in the last 12, $12 million of taxpayer money has gone into that facility since 2012 to make it an Edmonton Eskimos branded facility. Those seats are green and yellow for the Eskimos, not for the city of Edmonton. The city of Edmonton is actually a blue. Our, our color scheme is blue and white for Edmonton. Check out FC Edmonton's logo for the official yeah, Edmonton color. There you color. go. So we actually yeah. are, are the team here that uses our city's it uses colors. the city's color. So, but it's a publicly funded city branded for one professional sports team. One, one, one sports team, and how many dates do they occupy that facility? Exactly. Yeah, it nine? I know. I mean, and for games. I know. For games. And then it sits shut. Instead of opening it up to the public, let minor football, the Huskies, the Wildcats, high school football, and as a high school teacher myself that has been involved in school sports, that's the one sport that drives me crazy in, in school. Uh, because of the cost of it. But at, at any rate, they dictate what happens at Clark Stadium. Yeah, but I can Open tell you, those clubs would that. gladly move into Commonwealth. I, I, I'm on uh, boards where we're, I'm sitting there with football people, right. the top football people in the province, and they have said to the city, we'll gladly move into Commonwealth. Then open it up. If you're the city councilors listening, open it you up. You have to make it they're financially not, it's accessible. It sits yeah. there it's a all con- it's winter a concrete long. Dinosaur. It sits I there. Heard it. Yeah, you, know, you know what? Yeah. You, you look at... Um, Infrastructure that's not being utilized. There you go. It, right. It's no longer the, the the gorgeous grass it once was. That's right. And I, it's not like I really mourned the loss of it, but it was the one thing that you could say about Commonwealth Stadium. It's got real grass. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. I understand. I understood why they protected it, but now they have an all-weather turf yeah. that can clearly take increased use, and yeah. you cannot tell me that it is being. Um, worn out. It can't be. Mm. Can we not get some of that football stuff dropped in? You would think that every 14-year-old bantam football player would want to play oh. in Commonwealth. Exactly. you got the Wall of Fame above, all these great names, Absolutely. Warren Moon and For all sure. the rest of it. For sure. That'd be yeah. like a kid playing at, at Rexall. I, I remember the Hockey years. Play. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I was a kid growing up, again, growing up in B.C., there was Empire Stadium. That's where the, the Lions played. It's where the Whitecaps of the 70s played. Every, every high school football player wanted to play there because it's where the Lions played. And every soccer player wanted to play there at least once or twice because that's where the, the Whitecaps of old played. And the city opened it up. They, they allowed different groups. I remember playing a, a, yeah. a high school football championship in Empire Stadium. I, I believe the city, the Commonwealth Stadium is open. It's just out of the price range. They've oh, priced it. They, they, you cannot afford to play there. I mean, well, we know that from, from trying to play Amway games no. there. It's in like, the it's like so anything I mean, else. Isn't so some expensive. money better than no money? Like, how can it be so I expensive? I know. Well, or, I don't get it. As, as a, or you know, as a, as exactly. a taxpayer-funded facility... Why not just open it up? Why is there any money we're worrying about? I yeah. understand if they want to charge FC Edmonton as a professional sports team money to rent. I get that. But we're talking amateur sport. Yeah. So can we not put amateur sport in there in, in for free into a publicly funded facility? Yeah. Because so we're paying for it anyhow. I, I agree. What are, what are the, the costs of the lights? Well, that's a lot of lights to illuminate. Yeah. Okay. Then you, they don't that's have right. night games in October. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Play an afternoon, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. There's ways of working around it. Maybe there's one less council dinner in Mav. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, guys. No, before you end this, because I do want to give, because we we have a desperate need for indoor facilities. Of course. So so I think this is actually a great time to talk about one that uh, is definitely... Close to happening is definitely it's on its way to happening, mm-hmm. um, and and that uh, and that's the facility at Edmonton Scottish. 
So, so Kev, just a bit more on that. Yeah, so obviously Edmonton Scottish, uh, the Edmonton Scottish Society sits on about 20 acres of land. Um, it's called Grant McCune Park, south of Ellerslie. Uh-huh. It's been there for 50 years. And um, we recognize there's a need to play the real game 12 months of the year. So we've been working on a 173,000-square-foot facility, um, bespoke custom, includes not just the pitch itself, but you know a sports science piece um, for workout, banquet hall, concession, pub, lounge, all that stuff. But the, the pitch itself, it's not just a, a full-size pitch. It's, um, it's more than that. It's 180 yards long by 70 wide provides the opportunity to play four 8v8, proper 8v8 games, uh-huh. or you can open up and play 11v11 and still have an 8v8 game being played. Wow. Um, 55-foot clear in height. So it provides the proper environment to play the real game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're well down the way. on The engineering's been done. Um, the, the financial model's been created. And, you know, we're really optimistic about breaking ground. Um, it's a necessary piece, but it can't <laughs> yeah. just be one. There needs to be, as I said, Winnipeg has three. Exactly. Yeah, I know. And, 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 I know. and who's paid for those yeah. in Winnipeg? <laughs> it's a, it's the three levels of government. Right? That's right. Three and levels who's paid government. for that for Scottish? Scottish. Yeah. yeah you, you see, know? and that's yeah. when when you. That's wrong. Uh, it's. I mean, it's great that you can. Hopefully, you know, we've, had, we've had the conversations with all three levels of government. Um, you know, I want to say the, the member of parliament, um, Amarjeet Sohi, is also the minister of infrastructure. He's a champion for football, loves soccer, and he was involved with the Pusha um, facility, again, south of Ellerslie, but closer to 50th Street, right. mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. Agrident area. Yeah, yeah. yeah beautiful um, fields, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he, he was, he was involved with, with that. Rod Loyola, the, the uh, MLA. Um, for our area, you know, he's been out a number of times, and he's a you know a Chilean guy. He loves his football as well. Uh-huh. Um, the city of Edmonton, you know, they they've been supporters, but until such times as they start actually writing Supporting. substantial yeah. checks, yeah, it it will you know come on us to to finance yeah. it and to fundraise some of those. Uh, some of those dollars, but I mean, even uh, that that facility sounds beautiful. Sounds like it, it, it has everything that you would want in a facility. Um, uh, so, what would that cost compared to building a similar hockey rink? It's interesting. So, when you talk about a, a hockey rink where you, you're playing five v five, it's for an equivalent. You'd be talking about seven sheets of ice, eight sheets of ice. At about three to four million a, a, a piece, you'd be talking in excess of thirty-five million dollars for a soccer facility like that, excluding the banquet piece, the just the field itself. You, not even half of that cost. Yeah, not even half of that mm. cost. So it's and you could even do it bare bones for a fraction of it. If if you're putting up basically a really large airplane hangar, yeah, and, and putting down you know a, a turf pitch. It can definitely be done. And I guess in just the nature of the sports, it's, it's pretty easy to say that over a 10-hour period, you're going to put through twice as many kids in an active environment in soccer as you're going to in the same rink in hockey, obviously, uh, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Unquestionably. And the city continues, as maybe that they should, they continue to invest in hockey, like sheets of, sheets of ice. Right. 
Every new um, facility, recreational center, has a minimum of two sheets of ice. Yeah. And these are facilities that are in excess of $100 million. Whether you're talking about Tuolagri Rec Center, Clairview Rec Center, the Meadows, beautiful facilities, um, lovely facilities with kids teaming all over the gym floors and in the rinks and in the swimming pools. But where's soccer? Mm-hmm. Where's soccer as part of that conversation? And yeah. not just soccer as, oh, we'll put down a pitch outside, because mm-hmm. they've done that at Clairview, yeah. sure. thankfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. thankfully. But what about the other six, seven months of the year? Yeah. I know. I know. And, and just let me end on one final piece on this, D-Dub, because it drives me crazy. This attitude that if FC Edmonton can fill Clark Stadium, 5,000 fans a game and only seats 4,500, um, then we'll look at building a media-sized stadium. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is such a crock, and i got to say uh, it's such a poor piece of, of, of legislative business, if that's what you want to call it, when they make us play on Sundays where we play third fiddle to number one, the Eskimos. Well, that's because not the city, we can't, but that's not the city. That's not the city forcing us to play on Sunday. No, so but we can't play on it. Well, we can't play on a Saturday if the Eskimos play that's on the same the day. City. Is that that's the Eskimos then? Of course. Of course, that's not the. But Clark Stadium doesn't belong to the Eskimos, nor does Commonwealth. No, for but that are matter. you going to compete against the Eskimos on a game day? Well, we have a different. But the point is, but we have a different crowd. It's not a game day. It's the but day before. But we still, game. we can't make our schedule. We, we can't pick a Friday after. night, right? We can't pick a Friday night first. If, if so, we have to wait until our schedule. We have to wait. Our schedule comes out first. No, my understanding is, but we don't take Fridays because we don't know their schedule yet. Correct. And if we take a Friday, and the Eskimos have a Friday, what happens to our game? We haven't done it yet, so I don't know. Guaranteed we're bounced. 100%. There's no question in my mind the city makes us change our date. You know, it's, we get bounced if the, cheerle- the Eskimos cheerleaders want to use Clark Stadium to warm up for a game. No. We can't even train. If the Eskimos play on a Sunday or a Saturday night, we can't train there on a Saturday day because the Eskimos cheerleaders that's might need a warm-up. That's the issue for me. That's, that's so, the but issue that, But me. that is a city issue, Dre. That's not an Eskimos issue for me because the city owns those fields. And, and the other – so there's that. Um, we can't have certain things we want to do in those fields because of, of minor football, which is fine. We, we respect every sport that we do. We want to share the facility. But at the end of the day, we're, we're playing a facility that's not soccer-specific. It's not branded FC Edmonton. There is not a thing around Clark Stadium that would identify that as our stadium. And yet they expect us to fill it before they – how about this? How about make it soccer-specific for a couple years? Watch us then fill it because people can identify this as uh, allow us as to brand FC Edmonton. It. it can be branded. You'll create an atmosphere because you can put proper stands in behind the goals. You can wrap around the, st- the stands and you don't worry about the end zones. So do that first, and you watch us fill that stadium, and then build your medium that. size. I'll so that's my that. only pet peeve, and there's my yeah. little rant of the night. But no, I'll it's agree ridiculous. With that 100%. Yeah. I don't think Sundays are what killing it. Or, or it, it, like having to play on Sunday afternoons. I don't think that's that's people will come out and watch professional soccer on a Sunday afternoon. Why not? Um, I think it's it's strictly the branding, and nobody can associate Clark Stadium as FC Edmonton's home. Yeah, and I don't know why because nobody else plays there. I I truly think we need to start the JP rant segment. Uh, mind you, you get an opportunity to most shows to yeah, have have a go at something. That was yours for tonight. And on that note, we're going to take a very quick break. We we have to get to the NASL roundup. It's been a a great show so far, and we're going to continue on with that roundup right after this on Rabbit Radio. You're listening to Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton. And we're here for the final segment of uh, Rabbit Radio this evening. I want to thank uh, right off the bat. Before uh, You know what? I'll thank him later. 
I was going to throw it to you, Kevin, and just thank you right off the bat here. But we've got the NASL roundup to do. So we're going to start with the week that was. JP, you got okay. some numbers for us. Yeah, we'll race through these. So there was a midweek games uh, last week. Ottawa 2-0 over Carolina. Yeah. If there's any comments anyone wants to make, just jump in with a comment. So fantastic. I mean, I love, I love seeing Eddie Milan do well. I want to know what we – I mean, I think a couple of us – Picked Ottawa over Carolina. Do we have those? Or we're not going to no, get those? No, we all picked the mid- Carolina. The midweek one was uh, okay, all, not all one that we Carolina. actually did. I remember that. Yeah. I remember we all picked Carolina. For yeah, that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah we did. Okay. Um, so our apologies to Ottawa. Uh, of course, our game against New York. Fantastic victory for us in the yeah. final death throes of the match, but it was worth it. Two to one. Do you know why i got to say, honestly, in, in my experience with this club, uh, it's year five. And then even that one year volunteering, I saw every home game that was played at Foot Field. Um, that was the best 45 minutes the club's ever played. That's second Hands down, yeah. nothing compares to it. And Joe Fula, was, uh, you know Joe Fula, Kev. Of course. So yeah, he was absolutely. at, I saw him this past weekend, and, and he called me aside. He had his, uh, I think it was his uh, nephew or maybe his grandson with him. And um, he said, uh, you know, his comments were, you know, it's, it's actually great to see. He goes, number one, the players that you guys are signing right now, are, they're footballers. And he says, but I was at Wednesday's game. And he said, honestly, he goes, that's what we want to see. He goes, if that's a product that we're going to see, you'll see more people here. So yeah. that's really. actually what Colin echoed in the locker room after, you know, this is, this is now the standard. Yeah. yeah, this is now the standard. You have to go up from this. Of yeah. course, that yeah. was forty-five minutes because the first yeah. forty-five we oh, were to use Colin's term a pub team. Well, you and I were sitting up in the in oh the box there yeah, for staff, uh, and we were almost embarrassed. Know, Pretty you know. diabolical for I know. sure. So, uh, um, and then the other game that the, the other game was a uh, rail one 0 over Tampa. That was another bit of a shocker for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, rail was a home on their plastic pitch. Yeah. And when I say plastic <laughs> pitch, Kev, this is honestly the worst field you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, in like, like your the, life. honestly, it's they're four yeah. foot squares of turf that are put together. Velcro yeah, together, like a, like a parquet floor. Yeah. Red summer. Deer's exactly. barn is better. They're yeah. horrible. You yeah. played Red Deer's barn indoor? Oh yes, it's better. In 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 what I affectionately call the uh, the stockyard. Yeah, but I'm not supposed to talk about it because they want to pay a lot of money for that, and uh, oh, we're supposed right. to speak yeah, nicely get... of it. So I think, sorry. I think they're watching Bill Edwards, not yeah. not Jeff Paulus yeah. this week. Um, right. Shift into the weekend. Saturday. So okay, the home game is uh, Fort Lauderdale one 0 over Jacksonville. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the surprise though was Ottawa two 0 over Tampa. And we yeah, all picked is Tampa. Is it a surprise now we that all Tampa's Tampa. dropping a couple here? You know? Well, you know what, though? I mean, any, for me, any team in this league that has Joe Cole playing in their midfield? You expect uh, more. You expect a bit expect more. A little I, I, more. I think I was talking to you, yeah, I was plus watching payroll, part of that game, and, and, and I think it was that game, or it could have been the week before the, the Tampa's game against, um, we just talked about it, Rayo. Uh, uh, and Joe Cole was losing his mind on the ref. Yeah. Just absolutely losing his mind. The ref was scared to show me yellow. Oh, of Would course. Would not do it. Would of not course. do it. Well, one the of the guy, pro the refs? completely abusing the ref. Yeah. So you're saying one of the pro refs wasn't being very professional. What, what I'm saying is I think that uh, their fearless leader there, Bill Edwards, has not done them a favor here. Yeah. I think he's put this in their head that the refs are against them, and that's all they're thinking about. Well, he made a mistake there. I think he what did. I, what I will say about um, Joe Cole and the games that I've watched, and I watched about 45 minutes of that game against Ottawa, um, but, but before that, though, Joe Cole is actually playing. Yeah, uh, he's not. He's not here on a holiday. He's legit. Like he's he's competing. This this guy wants to win, yeah. and uh, so I, I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks to see him. That's gonna be a blast. Yeah, that's hope, gonna uh, be an yeah. absolute blast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that was two nil. Um, New York three nil over Puerto Rico. 
I think Jay was the only person I called Puerto yeah, Rico. I did, yeah. And then I actually, did pick I think Puerto he, Rico he convinced there. you to change I your mind. Have, I might have. Because you, you're the large Puerto yeah. Rican community. But you know what? We thought that uh, their owner would be in, in town for that one. And my only caveat was, well, you might be with the, the men's basketball team. And yeah. we saw here at First Round Sports Restaurant that he was, in fact, with the U.S. basketball yeah, team. So you there, used uh, Carrello my... Anthony hatred of New York card. <laughs> I'm, still, right. I'm, still working, right. I'm still working on the word caveat. I, I'm still, yeah, never mind. Big next words. one. Next one was. Was Rail two uh, two with Mini? That I watched. I watched the second half of that, and it was it was like a barn burner in the end. It was. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think Rail should have that tied was it up. Home it game for Rail as well. It, yeah, and it was. And they field. were down two to one with like literally vapor to go. Yeah, and they scored to tie it up. Yeah, which was a great result for us. So. Yeah, it was oh, perfect huge. And uh, Mini must be pulling their hair out right now. Yeah, because yeah. they had the full. You know? They had the full three points, and literally there was seconds. Just to keep go. expecting more from that club, and hopefully it doesn't come August fourteenth. Who's yeah. that? What club? Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh yeah. Um, the, actually, I skipped one. Sorry. What did I? Yeah, Miami two one over Indy. Pretty Mi- sure Miami is a club that's stepping it up. I called it. Yeah. I was the one well, guy I don't that remember. called. You don't write game. anything down. But so. I, call, I did call. I know that for a fact. Oh, oh, oh. he knows yeah. it for a fact. D Dub. So A D Dub. I called Miami that one. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> next, next, next score. Do I think? Can I just say one thing about that though? Miami. Oh, please. I, I only watched. Uh, I watched ten minutes of that game. Uh-huh. I had to change the channel, and I had and I watched about forty-five minutes of town or the Ottawa hosting uh, Tampa. I had to yeah. change the channel because both of those games had football lines. Oh, uh, yeah. I know. You did text me about that, didn't you? I did. How pissed off I was. It's, it's, and that was us, I, year one and two, so I get it. Well, but Yeah, so their football team in Ottawa, and that's the only one I know, they played the next day at uh, TD Place. You oh, can okay. sort it out. So, okay. But, I mean, stay up late and paint lines. That's why you pay guys overtime. What's the yeah. problem? No, you got, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah actually, for me, it's just a lack ACAF, of organization. Poor, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's, you know how I feel about those football lines. I know. Yeah. It's poor. And, uh, and this is supposed to be Division Two North American soccer, so it's just poor. Um, and then, of course, our game against Carolina. Yes. 1-0 Massive. for us. Love Massive. it. Yeah. Love Just it. keep this rolling, man. Yeah. Now, uh, like Colin said today uh, after our training session, now we got to do it on the road. Yeah. Now yeah. the big test comes here. Yeah, because yeah. we've not been – none of the top four teams. The, th- the top four teams right now in the fall season – Combined, have won one game on the road. Mm. Yeah, well, let's, let's, we're going to have to change so that. This starting whatever team changes that will be the team that comes out on top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starting this just, weekend, I we're going to say we're gonna have to start doing that. That's yeah. We you are know what? Start winning those <laughs> games. Good shout. Good shout. Well done, tips. Yeah. Um, Thanks. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to buy. I lost my moment now. No, okay, yeah. um, upcoming all right, week. Upcoming week. So went, there's a couple of midweek games. Uh, Indy's hosting Jacksonville. Predictions. Yep. Uh, predictions. The, someone will win. Uh, next game. No, come on. All right. Uh, Indy. I'm going Indy absolutely in that one. I think Jacksonville is still – I think they won recently. No, they, no they've not won anything no, at all recently. Indy, 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 Indy at home. Yeah, Indy at they're home. they're all losing all the time at the moment. Indy at home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Indy at home. Uh, Minnesota hosting Puerto Rico. Mini. Going with Mini. Mini, for sure. Mini. And this one has a huge effect on our game, obviously, because, uh, again, they travel in after. We get to Puerto Rico before Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, Rico yeah. does, yeah. We'll be there 24 hours prior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. that's good that's planning good. by your team administrator. Yeah. But, so, uh, no, I, I take Mini. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think we all pick Mini. So Saturday, Jacksonville hosting Carolina. I'm going Carolina with this one. They're going to bounce a bounce back game. Railhawks on the road, yep. Railhawks. 
the Royals. I, I am predicting 0-0 and Colin Clark uh, blaming the refs. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they're not Canadian, so maybe oh, not that's this true. Time, it's just a Canadian yes, ref, etc. Even Canadian, though yes. we outpossess them, outpass them by close to 100 passes, but clearly it was the refs' one bad call. Yeah, what were the passes? Yeah. It was 495 or something like that. 495. 495. Yeah. yeah, we hit 495 this game. So, Okay, uh, Indies hosting Ottawa. Ottawa. I'm going to go Ottawa with this one. They're on a roll right now. I'm going Indy at home against the, that, that fan group. Uh, no, it's Indy for me. Okay, Caroline, go ahead. Fury. Yeah, I'm going Fury as well. I'm going with my boys. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, you can I stick am. with your heart on that one, but yeah. I'm going with my head. I am. Uh, Puerto Rico is hosting us. Yeah. No um, brainer. No brainer. FCE. Right, good enough. I'm not saying a word. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tampa's hosting Fort Lauderdale. Oh, weird. Uh, Florida it's like Derby. a derby. Yeah, it is. It really is. A, There's a couple yeah. of Florida derbies yeah. there. And one of those two teams can pay their players. So, Oh, hang on. Oh. 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 Hang on now. I think this is the opening of uh, Broward whatever. Yeah, blah, blah, a new blah. stadium. Yeah, new yeah, stadium. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that the cricket ground or whatever they're moving I into there? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah I'm assuming it's, it's cheaper a, than the first stadium to rent. I don't know any of that stuff, but I know that they were – Planning on moving in three years ago, and now it's happened. So well, well done. maybe uh, maybe they open it up with a. I'll go with Fort Lauderdale win. Okay, that's good. Wait, um, they're um, in Tampa, so <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, then, <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's change that. Just back yeah. up Boogaloo, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll go rowdies. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to your first beer, and I want to say that again. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, it's Tampa for sure. Tampa, Tampa, Mini Miami. What are you thinking? I'm going Miami on the road. Calling it, I think that I think that's a team that is. I think is they're going on. Up. Yeah, I think so too. I'm gonna go. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go mini. That's a draw. <laughs> <laughs> a draw. It's oh, one draw. of those subtle ones. Yeah, I just threw it in a bad there. draw, yeah. but I, I'm I'm with D Dub. I think I can't. Yeah, mini on that one. Um, and who who's mini playing the game, Dre? Where are they playing? Is the no, who, who are they playing? Where are they playing? Who are they the playing? Question. They're playing wow. Miami. All right, Miami's, Miami's playing Miami. I said mini in Miami. Said mini. Just checking. Yeah, yeah. I knew. And the final game, New York Rail. In New York. New York. New York has got the record for Cosmos. home wins. Yeah. I'm going for the it's New York. Yeah, it's New York. It's New York. It New York, 3-0, and Allen's getting kicked out of the game. Oh, wow. Yeah. You think oh, so? It's just what, it's what he does. Oh, it's what you can mark my words. I buy JP a shot. Right. I remember coaching him at U15, and I never saw him get thrown out of a game. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, you know? You take it or leave it. That's the NASL roundup. I, Go ahead. We left it. Go ahead. You were going to say? We left it. We left what? Go ahead. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> now I want to thank Kevin for coming down and joining us on the podcast. Kevin, Fantastic, it's been Kevin. great uh, Great banter, great talk back and forth. Really oh, fun having you on, mate. Thanks for thinking of me when you were putting this together. I had a lot of fun. No, that's great. And, of course, for Andreas Morris and Jeff Paulus. And uh, Thomas and what's that other guy's name? Jaime. And Jaime? No, it's Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy. Is Jimmy? Never mind. I want to thank our crew that's down here helping us out as well. This is Rabbit Radio. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what guests you want us to have on. Give us questions to fire out there. Let us know what players you want to hear from and what type of questions you want to ask those players. You can do it all by uh, looking us up on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook page. And um, you can bug Jeff. Jeff likes hearing from us on Twitter. So 
Let's just wrap this up, okay? You guys have a long trip to get to tomorrow. I want to wish you guys the best in Puerto Rico. And uh, Rabbit Radio coming to you live from the first round sports restaurant in downtown Edmonton. Uh, See ya. Rabbit Radio, the official podcast of FC Edmonton.